Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. Today's episode is part two of a conversation between our host, Dr. Lynn Kohick, and Dr. Scott McKnight. If you missed last week's episode, hit pause and go back and listen to that conversation first. Scott is a world-renowned speaker, writer, professor, and equipper of the church. He's a recognized authority on the historical Jesus, early Christianity, and the New Testament. He is currently working on a series of New Testament everyday Bible studies with Volume 1 on James and Galatians coming out in April 2022. You can keep up with him via Tove Unleashed on Substack and the Kingdom Roots podcast. So in 1992, I think I maybe it was 93, I was teaching at Trinity. I had a huge class in the Kenneth Concert Hall, uh, hall uh, on the Synoptic Gospels. And I had read E.P. Um, N.T. Wright's new book, The New Testament and the People of God, which is sort of a narrative framework for the New Testament. Now, I don't agree with everything he says now, uh, but he was giving a narrative that made sense of especially, well, the end of exile was his eschatological category. And I remember reading that just being overwhelmed by the freshness of the ideas. And it wasn't just Tom's end of exile, but just putting it all together in a narrative framework. And I will never forget the day that I lectured on this book in this class. It was like electricity jolted through the room it was a book made for its time, expressing a Christian theology, but in a completely different framework. Jesus is the center. The story is ongoing. There's eschatology. There's God. There's salvation. There's all this stuff going on. But it had all been rearranged into a narrative rather than God, man, Christ, sin, salvation, you know, the, the topics of salvation. And at that, at, from that point on, I was a narrative theologian. That's the way I wanted to present theology. And I told Hans Borsma the other night in Madison, uh, you know, I, I've said this in public, we need, uh, we need to think about theology in a narrative frame rather than topics or the creed. And I think it'll make a big difference. So narrative has been really important to me. And, and I now believe that we can use different narratives to make sense of different authors in the New Testament, different Christian thinkers. We don't have, there isn't one narrative that every Jew believed, but every Jew believed in Adam and Eve and creation and fall, whatever, and the covenant with Abraham and the law with Moses and the prophets, etc. And the, the basic events in the history of Israel, Egypt, exile, etc. All those events, characters are all in the narrative, but you can exploit different ones in different ways for a different sense. And so Paul exploits something different in Romans 9 through 11 than, let's say, the writer of Hebrews exploits in Hebrews 11, than Jesus exploits when he's talking kingdom, and that John exploits when he's talking in the book of Revelation. So we, we, but they're all, they're all sort of 
I'm not a musician, and I know your husband is, so you might know what I mean by this. There are variations on a theme, or there are themes on a similar music uh, score, whatever it's called. So I like the variety, and I do think it with Tom Wright, he probably pushes one narrative as the dominating narrative. I think there's more than one narrative at work. You know, when I and just when we were talking about uh, women in the church, you started with characters on the pages, characters that are approved, who are lauded, praised. Um, and then you mentioned First uh, Timothy 2. And I think that that shows how the uh, narrative can also function in uh, in how we understand women and what women did in the uh, in the New Testament. Because if you start with First Timothy two um, and and what you think is a prescription against women serving in leadership, you just don't know what to do then with uh, Priscilla. There's just what do you yeah. do with Junia? And either you say Paul forgot <laughs> or was inconsistent yeah, yeah. or whatever. But if you start with, well, what were women doing? What was uh, the issue that Paul's co-workers, Yodia and Syntyche, were concerned about? The fact is they were co-workers. The fact is they, they were working alongside Paul and building the, building the church and presumably they were talking, <laughs> they were teaching in some yeah, way. Yeah, and so yeah. taking all of that and then saying, okay, given how Paul lived and how the church lived, what's going on in First Timothy 2? I think that narrative helps correct this kind of propositional reading of scripture that, um, that pulls things out of context. Yep. Well, I grew up with some people using the category that you have to pay attention to didactic texts having more normativity than narrative texts. And I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I've heard this on my blog for 15 years that people will push this and I'll think, where in the world do you get this, this assumption that didactic texts are, are more authoritative than narrative text, as if the story doesn't matter. So, yeah, we're on the same page. On yeah, that. yeah. Well, I know that you've thought a lot about the, the church for a long time. In fact, when you were at North Park and thinking of moving to Northern, I remember you saying to me, just feel like you want to spend, um, spend your teaching time and your writing time really focused, focused on the church. And uh, most recent, or one of the most recent things you've uh, produced is a book called A Church Called Tove. Yeah, how did that come about? Well, that is true. Uh, and, uh, you know, it goes back to the Jesus Creed book, which changed my life uh, personally and professionally, because all of a sudden I was getting invited to speak to these events, those churches and pastors and it sort of revitalized my relationship with pastors in, in the church. I was sort of an academic, you know, writing for academic things. And um, as I was doing that, I became convinced that this is where, you know, my gifts can flourish now. And in a, in a period of just a couple of years, uh, I don't remember how many years, I was offered 
or talk to about six different jobs in seminaries. And when, when I was asked about them, every one of them, I thought, I'd like to do that. So I realized that's what I wanted to do. But, um, you know, moving to some other state wasn't exactly high on our list at the time. Um, and when David Fitch contacted me at Northern, he was at Northern, or still at Northern, last I knew. Um, if When David said, uh, we're looking for someone to teach Paul from a new perspective angle, do you know anyone? And I said, uh, part-time or full-time? He said, well, probably part-time. I said, well, if you're interested in full-time, I would be interested, something like this. And David writes back, don't don't be joking about this. I said, David, I'm really serious. And then I, I said to Chris, I just told David Fitch I'd be interested <laughs> in teaching at Northern Center. She goes, why would you say that? So uh, within the week, I had an inv invitation to, I mean, I had a, an interview with, uh, and so I, and then I came to Northern because I got to teach pastors and people who are interested in ministry in the church. And I love teaching college students. It was a lot of fun for me. Uh, but the focus on the church is what the seminary uh, brings. And that's, that's where I wanted to spend my time. Yeah. What, how has your idea about the church changed or been shaped? I know I read and loved your book, A Fellowship of Difference. You, you've just done a lot of work, and maybe it comes from Matthew and, and Sermon on the Mount, but um, from maybe the time when you started teaching till now, how, is your, how are your thoughts changed about church? Um, well, Fellowship of Difference was the book I committed to write the first year I was at Northern as I was teaching Paul. I said, I have, to, I have this belief that if I can't communicate what I'm teaching to lay people first, then I, I need to change what I'm teaching. So I wanted to write something that I thought would be about the Christian life in Paul, Fellowship of Difference. And with all the diversity we have at Northern, I wanted to move in that direction uh, to speak to our, our kind of students and our kinds of churches. And I thought it was so Pauline is I wanted to, to see an emphasis upon diversity in the church, especially with respect to the African-American community and churches. So uh, I did that. But what, what has happened in the last three or four years for, for me um, and for my family is the uh, revelations of corruption in so many church leaders and therefore in church cultures that um, I wanted I wanted to be able to speak to our students about church corruption and try to help them be the kinds of people where this wouldn't happen. But one of our students asked me, came right to me and he was nose to nose. What he asked me this question. What can I do now so that I don't become James McDonald later? Oh, wow. And fill our, an our listeners in. Yeah, fill our listeners in yeah. just with a thumbnail sketch of what that means. James McDonald was a, uh, was a pastor of a huge corporation of churches um, in the Chicagoland area at Harvest Chapel. And uh, he went through some really difficult times. 
and it got exposed in in national magazines and uh, blogs and everything else. Scandals, etc. wasn't sexual scandals. Uh, much more power abuse. And it was just so interesting that the well, I'm I'm talking about Tove, and this student says, "What can I do now so that this never happens to me?" And I took that as a mission, and I said, "Okay, we can talk all we want about the corruptions, and it's a pretty easy target uh, because we've got all kinds of stories of this, and it's almost salacious uh, in detail, so that it it can draw people's attention." But I thought my responsibility is to be honest about that, but at the same time, to try to help our students find a way forward in a more redemptive way. Uh, and so we chose the term Tove of goodness, is that let's pursue goodness of character and goodness of behaviors and goodness of culture so that our churches are known for Tove, not for their toxicity. So that's where, that's where the book uh, was generated was an attempt to um, speak to the situation publicly uh, about, especially because of Willow Creek, as we attended there, but also with all the other corruptions, the Catholic Church, Sovereign Grace, Southern Baptist, you know, you name it, uh, but to do so in a redemptive way so that there would be a hope. And I just met with a group of uh, pastors in Madison. It was amazing to me. They read, they read Tove. And almost the leader said, I want you to say one word about this book. And 75% of them said it was hopeful. And I, I blame this on our editor who really worked with us to move the negative up front so that the book would move in a redemptive direction. So he did a great job helping us um, uh, reshape the book a bit. But I wanted it to be hopeful for our for our students and for pastors is that, yes, there's corruption, but God's spirit is within us and can transform us into being agents of Tove as we become characters of Tove. So that's and uh, no, that is great. And and two questions come to my mind. What do seminaries need to do to help prepare pastors and what do people in the congregation need to do? to create this culture of Tove? Yeah. Well, I think we do need uh, to focus more on character development in seminaries. Um, and I'm with, with Chuck DeGroat, um, who's at Western Seminary, uh, the one in, uh, in Michigan, that uh, pastors need to become more self-aware. They need to know their character flaws and their strengths. And the congregation, the leaders in the churches, need to know that this is the pastor's strengths and weaknesses. We got to get over this idea that they're perfect. The second thing is, I think churches um, want to call into leadership in their churches, people who are marked by character, rather than just measuring giftedness and platform powers, uh, we need to say, this is a person worthy of following. I want to be like that person. That's who That's who our churches deserve. And, and it's a flip of a script, and it's difficult. Um, and Laura, my daughter, and I are working on a book on this right now of trying to help cultures and churches uh, shift and change, transform. And the 
The big thing is, I think we're going to have to start focusing more on character. So, you know, I, I really valued students that we've had at Northern, like Kelly Fabian, who writes on spiritual formation. And she's really, she doesn't say it quite this way, but she's really concerned with character, intimacy with God that leads to transformation of character. And when she was in our classes, frankly, when she spoke, people listened because of her character. She has got tove character. Yes, yeah. Makes me think of uh, also one of your books that's going to be coming out soon on the book of Revelation. Maybe it's going to be called Revelation for the Rest of Us. And that's a that book is written in a context where there really is a antagonism between the church and what it values and the world and what it values. And feels to me like Babylon or Rome and the reality that we face here in the United States. There's a lot of similarities. I think Serene, you've read the book as well and might have a question. Or I took have the class. Took the yeah, class. I'm sorry. I had I read the, the class. <laughs> yeah, you've had the privilege of reading the book. Yeah, I had a class with Scott a year ago where we talked about Revelation. And even earlier in the conversation, you two were talking about narrative. And that was how we approached the book, right, Scott? I mean, we looked at it like yep. this prophetic drama and the characters that were at play. And as you two were talking about, power and corruption, that was sort of how you presented the book to us of, you know, where can we see the dragon and Babylon in our world around us? Um, Would you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit of how you approached the topic of Revelation in that class? Well, one of the, yeah, thanks, Serene. Yeah, that was a lot of fun for a class for me. I mean, the first time you get to teach a class, it's either a disaster or it's (laughs) utter delight and this one for me was was total delight all right um i read i wrote a book called reading revel uh reading romans backwards and i knew that in many ways the title of this book could have been reading revelation backwards but it isn't totally backward but in part um i believe that to understand the book um we have to start with babylon we've got to understand what's going on in john for for john's revelation Babylon is not some future city. It is a present dominating city that is going to be brought to its knees because of its injustices. So what what I wanted to focus on was mapping the characteristics of Babylon as an evil empire. And so we we worked through some of those. And to see that it's influencing um, the churches in chapters two and three. And how John tells the story, that the story is is basically a series of disciplines by God of disciplining Rome and the world for its injustices and its treatment of the people of God. And yet all these, this story, these narratives of the judgments, the trumpets, the seals, etc., um, they are constantly interrupted. And, and I like these interruptions because those interruptions are moments where where John is saying to the people in the churches, just pause, it's gonna be, it's tough, it's, it's not perfect, but God is on the throne. And someday this victory is coming our way. And then we'll go back to the judgment, then okay, we gotta stop. We gotta sing another song. It's, it's like the, uh, the choir director or the music worship director has to stop the sermon every five minutes so they can sing a song because the message is so ominous 
of judgment. And uh, so th those were some of the exciting parts for me. Um, and I believe that we need, I, I think one of the biggest problems is people are constantly reading it as predictions is the modern state of Israel, uh, you know, is this, who is the Antichrist, et cetera. All those things, I think, completely destroy the possibility of seeing what John is doing is giving us a hermeneutical lens by which to evaluate the evil and injustices of our world so that we can free ourselves from those and live in the world of New Jerusalem that uh, John is calling us to. So I'm glad you asked about Revelation. I like, I like talking about Revelation. Would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about uh, one of the terms that came out in that course that I think stuck with a lot of us as students was what it means to be dissidents? That was a term that I don't hear thrown yeah. around a lot, especially in that context. So would you mind telling our listeners a little bit what you meant by that? The fundamental message of discipleship in the book of Revelation is we have to become dissidents of empire, resistors of the ways of Babylon that are always encroaching upon us. So a true disciple of Jesus for John is a dissident of Rome. So they are, I, don't, I wouldn't want to call them rebels and, uh, you know, in that sense, I don't know. They are rebels at, at another level, but they're dissidents, they're resistant. They are the people who see the injustices and perceive it and say, we can't live like this. They're the ones like uh, Nelson Mandela, who saw the evils of apartheid. They are like Martin Luther King, who saw the injustices of racism in the United States. Um, and they are the ones who then sought to live a different way and refused to compromise their conscience and their behavior in order to fit into Babylon, wherever that Babylon was present. Mm. So that's good. <laughs> I think here on the podcast, we're often, you know, we're specifically talking about issues that impact women and sometimes learning how to be a dissident in the face of injustice is definitely um, a theme that we as women often face. So I think that's a really relevant topic for us to talk about here. I think we've got a lot of women at North, Northern Seminary who have a, <laughs> a disposition of dissidents and they perceive things in classes and you go, okay, they, they got that right. I did not, I was insensitive on that point. So. No, I, I think you're right, uh, Scott, about the character of the students at, at Northern finding their voice, having confidence uh, in their voice and often being labeled though by others as, a, as being rebellious, which has that negative dissident yeah. feels like you know you're you recognize the truth in a corrupt situation where rebellious yeah. means no you're, you're just not going along with the party line and uh that uh sometimes the party line needs resisting <laughs> yeah yeah well in a couple of weeks now maybe 22 days on october 22nd you and uh your daughter your co-author for a church called toe We'll be doing a, um, a conference here uh, at Northern for the Center for Women in Leadership. You want to give, and it's titled Tove for Women. 
goodness, goodness for women. Are there particular themes from both the book, A Church Called Tove, and also even your work uh, in the book of Revelation um, that are especially hopeful news, good news for women? Well, yes, I'm, um, we're going to talk about uh, Tove as a culture. And when there's a Tove culture, women will flourish. When there's a toxic culture, it's usually a male-dominated culture, uh, and it prevents women from flourishing and prevents women from having a voice. So we'll we'll talk about that. And the Book of Revelation. I hadn't thought about this question, but uh, you know, John likes likes the vision of a woman. In, and uh, it's Revelation it's both 12. positive and negative. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got I a think woman of in Babylon, oh, too. that's it. Yes, that's it. Yeah. And so. Uh, there are tropes um, that we find in literature, some uncomplimentary to the female, um, but yet there's obviously good news for women in uh, in Revelation. And yeah, yeah, and I think, and we'll. I hadn't thought about bringing in Revelation. I don't think we'll have enough time for me to unpack all that about Revelation. But Tov, I find churches that are marked by Tov are churches in which both men and women flourish in their singular giftedness. And when churches don't permit that singular giftedness to flourish, um, it becomes a toxic culture of silencing at least half the church or more. And that's that's not what uh, God designed. No, well, I am really looking forward to that conference. I know uh, women will be blessed and men i mean it's not just for women women and men are very much invited to uh to come 22nd of october i know we'll have details uh when we post this um when we post the podcast that people can be able to sign up for it it'll be both in person and also people can access it uh streaming so scott thanks so much wow this was just so much fun to visit with you. Thanks for coming on and uh, being the first man to be on the Alabaster Jar podcast. <laughs> well, it, it is an honor, but it's always good to be with you, Lynn, and to talk with Serene. So you, you, your, your folks are doing a great job with this podcast. I'm, I'm proud of it. Very good. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks Scott. Okay. Thank you. You've been listening to another episode of the Alabaster Jar podcast, where we take on issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. If you enjoyed today's conversation, be sure to share it with a friend and hit subscribe so that you will be notified every Tuesday when we release a new episode. If you were listening to today's conversation on Tuesday, October 19th, when it is first released, there's still time for you to register for Tove for Women an event hosted by the Center for Women in Leadership on October 22nd. You'll be able to hear more from Scott and his daughter, Laura Beringer, on their book, A Church Called Tove. And if you're not able to join us for Tove for Women, you can still keep up with what's happening at the Center for Women in Leadership by visiting www.cwlnorthern.com. You can find links in the podcast description to Scott's Substack, and you can listen to Kingdom Roots podcast on your streaming service of choice.